Man, is, is, he, is he your living hope today? As followers of Jesus, we're really good at talking about um, Jesus being our hope in the next life to come, but I want to remind you that he's our hope in this life. And he's not just our dying hope, he's our living hope. Scripture tells us that the thief, our enemy, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but Jesus came that we would have life, and we would have it abundantly, and that abundant life is available to you today, right now. The glory of the Christian life isn't just what happens when we die, it's the reality that we get to live life with Jesus today. So I want to encourage you not just to give your afterlife to Jesus, I want you to give your today life to Jesus, your every day to Jesus. So don't treat salvation as something that just is about what happens at the end. It's about today. It's about empowering you to give you living hope for being the husband that God would want you to be and the father that he'd want you to be and the man that he would want you to be. Um, Have you ever been afraid? Of course you have, right? Can you remember about the, the last time you were afraid and what that, what that fear felt like? Um, I remember the first time that I remember really being afraid. Um, I was about seven years old, and my dad um, had been out for a while doing God knows what, God knows where, with God knows who, and um, this was a common occurrence. And so... It, on this particular evening, he came home, and I could tell it was it was uh, it was probably going to be a bad it was going to be a bad night. And I was uh, I was woken up, and by the sounds of yelling and, and some things being thrown around, and so I I did I was afraid. I did what I thought was the best thing to do at that point. So I went across the hall where my sister was. Uh, she's five years younger than me, and I, I picked her up. And we went downstairs into, into our basement. And uh, the house that, that I grew up in, it had a, a laundry chute in the, in the bathroom upstairs. And so you'd you know, throw your clothes down. And so right by the, the washer and dryer, the clothes would, would pile uh, there and wait to, be, wait to be washed. And so I gathered my sister up and I took her into the basement and I hid us in the pile of clothes. And I just waited. I just waited until we didn't hear the screaming anymore, until we didn't hear the things being thrown around. And I distinctly remember being afraid. I distinctly remember praying, God, I hope that he doesn't find us down here whenever that up there is over. I hope that I'm praying, God, that you would just keep us safe. And I just continued to pray until we, we fell asleep. And so I remember waking up in the morning down there with my sister and walking upstairs not knowing like what state we were going to find things in. And I was afraid. I was afraid. Yet it was in the midst of that fear that God brought tremendous comfort in the midst of my fear. And my purpose in, in us being here this morning, men, is so that you will know that you have a faith that speaks louder than your fear. I want you to know that you have a faith that speaks louder than your fear. The idea that we can somehow eliminate fear is, is faulty. And the idea that fear is always a bad thing is also faulty. Fear can be an excellent motivator at times. But we have to keep fear in its proper place and keep it in the right perspective. Because fear can be used as incredible food. It can be used as fuel for us, as motivation. But fear is not to be 
the finish line for us. And our enemy loves to use fear to draw us off track, to keep us from doing the very things that God would call us to do and keep us from living the life that God would call us to live. And so as we continue to move through the book of uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 1, I want to ask you a few questions this morning. Number one, when things get difficult for you, well, do you lean in or do you run out? When things get difficult, do you lean in or do you run out? I grew up in Wyoming, and it's literally a place where the buffalo do roam. So when Jessica and I were married, she, I told her, uh, home, we, I, some, somehow Home in the Range came up in a conversation, and she's like, that's the Kansas song. And I was like, what do you mean? No, that's the Wyoming song. And so we started going through it. I, I said, listen to the words, babe. I said, give me a home where the buffalo roam. Do the buffalo roam anywhere in Kansas. I said, where the deer and the antelope play. I said, there are antelope all over Wyoming. There's more of them there than people. Do they, are they here? Right? So the idea, thinking about buffalo and antelope was a big deal growing up. And the, what I love about buffalo is, and I'm sure you've heard this story before, but they're distinctly different than cows in, in many ways. But one way is what they do when a storm is coming. You see, when, what cows do when a storm comes is they see the storm coming and they turn and they run the other way. But what happens when they run away from the storm is eventually the storm catches up to the cows as they're running away. And so they spend a longer time in the storm because they're not quicker than the storm and the storm is over them for a longer period of time. But buffalo don't do that. When buffalo see the storm approaching, instead of running the other direction, they turn and run right into the storm. They confront the storm head on. And by confronting the storm on their own terms, they spend less time in the storm than the cows do. So when you encounter storms in your life, do you lean in to that storm? Do you face it on your own terms or do you turn and run the other way? Secondly, where are you waiting on God as an excuse for your own laziness? Where are you waiting on God as an excuse for your own laziness? I mean, we're going to cover this a little bit more as we move to the message, but you've, you've done this before in your life. I know I have. You're confronted or presented with an opportunity or something that may require some work, and you're like, well, it just wasn't the Lord's time. Like, maybe, right? Or maybe you were just lazy. Maybe you just didn't want to put the work in. Final question for you this morning. What are you afraid of? Really, like, Really, what, it, what causes you fear? And again, I want to tell you, men, that it's not that our fears are invalid. It's just that they are misplaced at times. It's they're, they're misplaced. In the book of Matthew, chapter 10, I mean, Jesus tells us as much. In verse 27 of Matthew 10, he says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's kind of a discouraging word about the Lord, can feel that way. But then listen to what he follows it up with. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Don't be afraid, therefore, for you are worth more than many sparrows. And if we trust in and celebrate the God who is the God who takes care of the sparrows and who numbers the hairs on our head, then men, what on earth do we have to be afraid of? 
In 2 Timothy, here Paul articulates it to Timothy in this way, beginning in verse 6. He says, Therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power and love and sound judgment. So, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So again, this morning, man, we're going to talk about having unshakable faith, and we'll see that while there are many tenets to having unshakable faith, we're going to talk about three today. First, we'll see that to have unshakable faith, we need to work hard. We need to work hard. Secondly, we'll see that we need to trust the Lord. And finally, we'll see that we need to live like we believe the things we say are true. Work hard, trust the Lord, and live like the things that you say you believe are really true. Pick up with me again in verse 6. Paul says, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you. That phrase, keep ablaze, calls to mind the act of rekindling the embers of a dying fire. Um, When I was a very young person, I went to a youth camp called Centrifuge in Casper, Wyoming. And so on on the mountain, in Casper Mountain, we had cabins that we stayed in. And even in June and July, when camp would happen, it would get very cold at night. Uh, We had camp one year in June, and it snowed during summer camp on Casper Mountain. And so in the center, it it seems a little bit dangerous now, but in the center of each of these wooden cabins was a wood-burning stove, like legit in the middle of the center. And so if you were the low person on the totem pole or a sixth grader, right, it was your job to keep, to make sure that the fire kept going all night so that when everyone woke up in the morning that they didn't wake up to a cold cabin, right? So it was your job to keep stoking that fire all night long. You had to check it and make sure that it would continue to burn. And friends, just as that work took rekindling and it took a constant tending to, our own spiritual fire requires rekindling and constant tending to as well. And I want to tell you, man, I don't want to sugarcoat it for you. This is work. It's work to rekindle your fire. Um, as, you, as you know from yesterday, I have many, many, many children. Um, in fact, sometimes when people ask me how many kids you have, I just say, I have all the children. I have all of them. <laughs> They're all mine. Um, in fact, when I, when I go to the park, we go to the park, our, our kids are like a, like a child magnet. So it's like when you know, we go to the park, other kids arrive. And so sometimes another child will run up to me and I just assume they live with me now. I just, hey, what's your name? Awesome. Um, you, my name's Matt. You can call me Dad. Glad that you're on the team, right? Dinner's about this time every day. You'll be bunking in this room. Let me know if you have any problems. Glad you're on board, right? So since I have many children, I work three jobs uh, <laughs> to support all of my many children. I work for, for the North American Mission Board. It's the joy of my heart. Um, I get to serve on staff at a local church in our area as a discipleship pastor. And my third job is I'm a personal trainer at a local gym. And um, in, in our class, it's a, very difficult, it's a very difficult class. And so if you show up for the first time, I tell, I'll tell you exactly the same thing that I tell everyone else. I'll say, listen, this class is really hard. Um, in the first two weeks, you're going to hate me, and you're going to hate yourself for coming. You're, gonna, you're just going to hate. It's going to be a bunch of hate. But I'm going to encourage you to stick with it. Because after two weeks, it won't get easier, but you'll get used to it. 
And then the longer that you're here, the more you'll come to want to do this because it'll give you the strength and the desire that you need to do the things that you want to do in life. My mantra for physical training is we train for life in this class. We train so that you can be unlimited physically in the things that you desire to do. And listen, friends, that's the same desire and the same training, that the type of thing that we need to do in the work that we do in our relationship with the Lord. At times, this work of tending our spiritual fire is hard, unrelenting, and persistent. But I want to encourage you men that hard, unrelenting, and persistent work beats dumb luck every single time. Every single time. And as we train, we desire to train more Physically, and it's the same thing in our walk with Jesus, as you train more, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you want to talk about Jesus. Just as when I see my guys training, the the more physically able they become, the more they want to do hard things physically. They want to train for an event. They want to go run a 20-mile trail run. They want to do a half Ironman. They want to do something crazy. They want to run 100 miles because they have this newfound freedom with this work that they've been putting in with their body. And when you train with the Lord... When you devote yourself to kindling your spiritual fire every day, he'll give you the desire to use those gifts that he's given you. You want to tell people about this Jesus that you know. You want to go and do something hard. You want to give your life to something specific. Because as you put the work in, opportunity begins to present itself. But woe to us if the opportunity comes and we're not ready. We're not ready. And so the opportunity passes us by in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul, Paul tells it to us using a physical analogy in the same way. He says, let me get there real quick. Don't you not know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes, competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one who beats the air. Instead, instead I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. When Paul uses that phrase of disciplining his body, he's literally saying, I'm delivering a death blow to the things that would keep me from running hard after Jesus. I'm knocking my own lights out to make sure that I don't disqualify myself. So why do we not train that way? Why don't we work? Why don't we rekindle our spiritual fire? I think there are several reasons, but I'll talk about three today. First of all, I think we don't work because we have a misguided theology. We have a misguided theology. What do I mean? Brothers, if our belief in the sovereignty of God lends itself to spiritual slothfulness, we need to examine ourselves. If your belief in the sovereignty of God lends itself to spiritual sloth, you need to examine yourself. Because we may find the Lord no more impressed with us than the master was with the one who buried his talent in the ground and put it to work. And it's a super simple thing to do. We believe God's sovereign, I believe God's sovereign. Well, if he's in control, then I don't have anything to do. I just sit here and watch it happen. Friends, that's burying your talent in the ground. And the Lord won't be impressed with you when he comes. Let's say, I gave you this talent. And I wanted you to put it to work. So why didn't you? Why didn't you? Secondly, I think we don't work because we're just lazy. 
I wonder how often we're prone to blame the situations we're in and their outcomes on the movement of the Spirit when in reality we're just being lazy. Because as I said before, it's easier to say it wasn't God's will than it is to get up and grind every day. Because Jesus is a super easy scapegoat for our lack of work. I just want to challenge you men not to blame waiting on the Spirit as an excuse for your own laziness. Don't do it. Just own it. Just say, I didn't, I didn't put in the work. I didn't put in the work. I didn't do it. I wasn't ready. Because then at least we can talk about, well, how do we make sure that you're ready the next time an opportunity would come? Let's do that. Hey, what do we need to do? How do you need to, re- let me help you reorient your life so you can provide yourself opportunities to tend and to kindle that spiritual fire so that you'll be ready the next time it comes. Because I'm your brother and that's what I want. I don't want to see you lazy and slothful. I want to see you ready to go. I want to know that I can depend on you when, when I need to. When the bullets are flying, are you going to be ready? Did you put the training in? Finally, I think we don't work because we, because we don't believe the mission is worth it. We don't believe the mission's worth it. I wonder sometimes if we don't put in the work because we really don't love the lost like the Lord would call us to. If we really don't believe our holiness is worth it. We don't believe in the mission. Man, and listen, there's a difference between spiritual burnout, growing weary and well-doing, and lack of belief in what we're called to do. Because one stems from caring too deeply at times, and the other one stems from not caring enough. God's word tells us to not grow weary and well-doing, right? For those, don't, don't grow weary. Keep at it. But it, do you feel the way that you do because you're keeping at it too hard and for too long and you don't have healthy rhythms of rest and sustainability? Or do you feel weary because you just don't care enough about the mission? You're spiritually apathetic. That's a dangerous place to be. And brother, if that's where you find yourself today, that problem's not gonna get better if you keep it to yourself. Share that with somebody. Say, I'm really having a hard time tending my own spiritual fire right now. Do you think you could put some logs in there for me? Can you, will you go and chop wood with me? Will you go and will you strip this kindling with me? Because I can't tend this fire alone right now. I don't have the power. I don't have the desire anymore. And that's where we need each other. You need your brother to go with you. Take you to the woodshed, right? You need him. And he needs you. To have unshakable faith, man, we need to work hard. And secondly, we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. It's true, man, that our enemy is determined and powerful. He's doing push-ups every day, our enemy is. While we're being slothful and lazy, the enemy's doing push-ups. He's getting ready for you. And that's true, he's powerful and determined, but the truth is, you and I both know he's already defeated. He's already defeated, and he knows it. And Paul just tells us that our spirit isn't one of timidity and fear, but it's one of power and love and sound judgment. And so do we really believe that is true? When you're prone to inaction, a quick diagnostic question is helpful here. Ask yourself this, are my concerns legitimate or is this simply cowardice? I don't know about this. I don't know if I can do this. Is that a legitimate concern or... Am I just being a coward? And listen, friends, this isn't a question we can usually answer on our own. 
It requires some outside eyes in the the leadership of the Spirit. But the good news is Paul tells us that he gives us a sound mind and, and good judgment. And the remedy for cowardice is prayer, action, and community. So if you find yourself in a place of fear, of, of cowardice, ask yourself, are my concerns legitimate or am I just being cowardly? And if so, pray. Say, God, I'm afraid. God, I don't know if I could do this. And then take the first step and ask somebody to come with you. Say, I can't do this alone. I need, I need somebody to come with me. Because you know what probably happens is they're waiting for somebody to ask them because they don't want to go alone either. They don't want to do it alone either. And they're waiting on you, and then they'll look at you and be like, man, this guy encouraged me, and he said I could come with him. And we're going to go together and do this. That's right. We're going to live this life together as men of God. FDR said that courage isn't the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And I think that's true, but I think for us as followers of Jesus, it is true that courage isn't the absence of fear, but rather courage is the faithful, obedient action in the face of fear. Courage is faithful, obedient action in the face of fear. And friends, failure to act shouldn't be an option for us as men of God because truthfully, failure to act is the abandonment of our calling, our mission, and our sacred duty. We have to and we must act. So yes, to have unshakable faith, we need to work hard, we need to trust the Lord, and finally, We need to live like the things we say we believe are true. Paul encourages Timothy in verse 8. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Friends, We don't need to know more things. We need to be obedient with the things that we already know. We don't need need to be puffed up with knowledge. We just gotta get after it. We gotta live like what we believe is true. In the small group ministry, I'm the the discipleship pastor at our local church, and uh, we have groups, like a lot of churches have groups, and um, I've shifted the focus of our small groups to being primarily Bible study, which Bible study is good and helpful and everybody should study God's word, but I've shifted the focus of our groups from being primarily Bible study to being more action-oriented. So when our groups gather together, we say, hey, how did the reading go this week? What did God say to you? Okay, now what are you doing with what God said to you? Well, if the answer is nothing, then it's like, well, go back and read the same thing you read last week if you're not actually being obedient to the thing that God said, told you to do. We don't have anything else to talk about here. Why would God give you more wisdom to be disobedient to? Why, would, why do you need to more, know more things to just not obey? Francis Chan uses the illustration of not being impressed with his daughter if she memorizes how to say the words, clean up my room in Greek. He's gonna be impressed with her if she cleans her room. Not that she memorized more languages about what it means or says to clean your room. I wonder how much that's true for us in the knowledge that we seek all the time. And God, is God going to be impressed with all the stuff we memorized if we were just disobedient to it? If we didn't actually live like the things we said we believe are true? I think part of that is to circle back a little bit that we don't live with a right-placed fear. We don't actually fear the one who's able to kill the body and soul. (laughs) One of my favorite stories 
in the Bible is uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel that you find in the book of Daniel. And I love that story just because of the faith that these young men at that time exhibited in the midst of overwhelming odds, not even despairing of their very own life in the face of fear. You remember they were made or desired to, made to want to bow down to the king and they disagreed with that vehemently to the point where they were going to have to walk themselves into the fiery furnace. And as that was about to take place in Daniel 3, this is what we read. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God who we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. And then, brothers, if this doesn't make you want to stand up and go punch the devil in the mouth, I don't know what will. He says, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. He said, listen, king, you think you have the power, but you don't. You can kill us, but it won't matter. When I read that story, I'm reminded of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Jesus is broken, and he's beaten, and he's bloody. And what does Jesus say to him, to the one who has the authority to put, he says, don't you know, you're not going to answer me, don't you know that I have the power of life and death over you? And through bloody and broken face, Jesus looks at him and says, you have no power, except the power that my Father gives to you. See, Jesus knew who is worthy and worth our fear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, and it wasn't Pilate. He knew it was the Lord. It's important that we give a name to that because the things that we ultimately fear are the things that ultimately give shape to our daily lives and our decisions. Men, if all we fear is the Lord, what else stands in our way? Nothing. 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 I wonder how much of our frustration comes from being captivated by temporary things or being afraid of wrong things. And we end up living lives like Esau who sold his birthright and blessing for a bowl of soup. If there, are, if there is something, man, that I'm afraid of, you know what it is? It's wasting time. Because time is the only precious commodity because it's so finite and you can never, ever make more of it. It's a depreciating asset. It goes away, and it can't come back. You can always make more money, but you can never make more time. You can't do it. And I'm afraid of wasting giftedness and ability. As I said, the parable of the talents, I don't want to be found as one who buried his talent in the ground when the Lord comes back. I want to hear when I stand before the Lord someday, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. So I want to ask you, man, how are you living with what you've been given? I'm kind of, um, I'm a little twisted to the dark side in some ways. And what I mean by that is this. Um, several years ago, I looked up an actuary table about how long men live, right? So it'll tell you, if you look up an actuary table, you find this online, and you put in when you were born and what, if you're male and uh, what gender you are and the part of country that you live in, it'll tell you the average lifespan for a man of your age that was born when you were born. And you know what the average lifespan of a man that was born when I was born? It's 76 years, nine months. No, 76 years, four months, and nine days. That's the average lifespan. 76 years, 
four months and nine days. My grandfather lived until he was 76 years and four months old. And so I did the math on that, and today I have 13,381 days left. My plus one day will be December 27th of 2057. And when I first looked up that actuary table, I had 16,000 days left. The first time I looked that up. And so in my journal every day, I would write down one less day. At the top right-hand corner of my journal page, every day it's one less day recorded. And so today I have 13,381 days left. So what that means is, you know, if I had a dollar for every day I had left, I could buy a pretty decent used car. But that's it. That's it. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to writing day one <laughs> in my journal. I'm like, I won. I beat it, right? I beat it. God's word tells us that we need to number our days. We need to number our days because the days are evil. We need to redeem our time. So I want to ask you if you're redeeming your time, if you're working hard, if you're trusting the Lord, if you're living like the things you say you believe are true. Because as James says, life is, a, is an incredible vapor as well. So what, I, what do I want you to take away from this this morning? First, I want you to work hard. I want you to be a buffalo, right? Be a buffalo. When you see the storm coming, run into it. Confront it on your own terms. Don't live in fear of that storm. Don't live in fear. Work hard. Don't be a co-conspirator in the atrophy of your spiritual muscles. Next, I want you to believe the Lord. Just believe the Lord. Believe that the things he says are true, that he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and of sound mind. There's an old dead guy, his name's Abraham Kuyper. He says this, to obtain real peace, an unshakable faith, and full development of our powers, our soul must, in the depth of depths, and forsaken of all men, depend on God Almighty alone. So men, don't live in fear. Move from pride to humility, and move from idleness to action. I'm going to pray, and we're going to finish up our time. Travis is going to come back up, but I want to encourage you again that if the message is spoken to you in any way, don't don't leave without talking to somebody else about that. Don't fight this battle alone. It is often the case that when you come before the Lord and you sit under the teaching of God's word, yes, whoever's communicating, you're taking notes, but God's using that opportunity for your openness to come in and speak to you about things in your life that he wants to talk to you about. So whatever it is that God is speaking to you in your life about, maybe that's the state of your marriage, maybe that's the state of a business that you're involved in or that you give leadership to, maybe that's you as a husband or as a father or as a disciple maker, don't, don't shut off that faucet just because the content of this message was not directly applicable, but use that opportunity to listen to what the Lord is saying to you. Let me pray for us. God, help us to take you at your word that what you say is true that you haven't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of love and power and of a sound mind. So empower us today to do the very things that you said you would. We take you at your word, Lord. Continue to use us and speak to us because we, yes, we need you. We need each other, but the world needs us, Lord. <laughs> the world needs your church. So we pray that we'd be faithful in the midst of that calling. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.